Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. I normally don't start a Bible study off with a quote, but if you are a note taker, you might want to write this down. Because it's a very powerful quote. You say, what is it? Well, it's been said, listen, that there is no greater weakness than an unguarded strength. There is no greater weakness than an unguarded strength. And as I read that, I thought, that is so true. And you go, why, Pastor Ben? Because, guys, we can begin to place our trust in our own ability to resist evil, and it makes us vulnerable. You see, once again, there is no greater weakness than an unguarded strength. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to us last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, when he wrote this. He said, therefore, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. That's what he's saying. And what he really wants to imply and what he really wanted to teach is it's so important for us to remember, listen, remember the temptations that we came from so that we don't allow ourselves under false strengths to visit those things that once held us captive. You go, Ben, you said a lot of words, but I'm not sure what you meant. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Let's just say that somebody gets saved, right? Let's just say super, super radically saved after being an alcoholic for many years, get saved, gave my life to Jesus, fully devoted follower of Christ. And everybody's like, amen. And what happens is then he gets filled with the Holy Spirit and he wants to go out and do ministry. Okay, you go, amen, I'm with you so far, pastor. And so they begin to share Christ with people. And as they begin to share Christ with people, their heart begins to tug to those that were in the same bondage that they were. Oh, I... I, I just know that there's a lot of people that, that are alcoholics that just, they just need Jesus. And at this point, you're going, amen, everything, everything is good. So what do they do? They decide that they are strong enough to go to their local bar and begin witnessing to the patrons inside. And really, this is an unwise thing to do. Why? Because it begins to remind you, this is your old stomping grounds. This is a place where your flesh found its greatest pleasure. Why? Church, listen. Because sometimes there's no greater weakness than an unguarded strength. And if you're taking notes, jot this down because Proverbs 28 and 26 says this, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. That's what Proverbs tells us. And so today, This morning, church, I want to talk to you about an unguarded strength that leads us to fall. You see, Paul's going to teach us today to flee idolatry. He's going to exhort the Corinthian church to quit two-timing God. You see, the church at Corinth was saved. Okay, we get that. The problem was, as they come in saved, they came in with a lot of baggage, and they were continuing to worship and fellowship with the world. They were still worshiping idols. They belonged to God, but they were two-timing him with idol worship. Some of you may remember 
a couple of people, whether you're a great sports fan or you like to watch TV, there were two people. The first one you'll know because he used to don on a Spurs uniform and played for the Spurs for many years. His name is Tony Parker. How many of you remember Tony Parker? Yeah. And then he married a girl who was no stranger to television. He married a lady by the name of Eva Longoria. And so whether you are a sports fan, a Spurs fan, or you are a desperate housewife fan, you guys will know what I'm talking about. There are two people that we know very well. But the point I want to make is that in 2010, listen to this, after three years of marriage, Longoria filed for divorce from Parker. Shortly after filing for divorce, Logoria revealed that she had discovered Parker had been sending hundreds of text messages to other women. It didn't take long for the media outlets to learn that Parker had been having an affair with his former teammates, Brent Berry's wife. Her name was Erin Berry. You go, what do you mean? Tony Parker was two-timing on Eva. You go, Ben, what's, what's a two-timer? Well, see, a two-timer is really a phrase that I grew up with. But what it really means is that is they're cheaters. They're cheaters, and the dictionary defines it like this. The dictionary says it's a verb, and it means to cheat on one's significant other. Everybody got that? It's a two-timer. Two-timing is a form of cheating in a relationship where one person attempts to maintain two separate romantic love relationships at once with one or both of the other two lovers not knowing about each other, right? Today we call it having an affair. Today we call it whatever you might. But back in my day, it was two, you were a two-timer. You were a cheater. You were a two-timer. Now, here's the question. Can we two-time on God? And you go, well, absolutely, Ben. Absolutely. How so? Guys, idolatry. Idolatry. Listen to what what Jeremiah chapter 3 says. Here's what we learned in Jeremiah chapter 3. We learned that God, the Lord, gave a certificate of divorce to who? To the unfaithful Israel. There were 10 northern tribes, right, up north. There were two on the bottom. And he says, listen, I'm going to offer, I'm going to write a certificate of divorce because Israel was, was, was basically committing adultery, which meant the people worshipped other gods. Now, if you recall last week, we said we learned from, right? We learned from our mistakes, but we actually learned from other people's mistakes, right? Which makes us wiser. Well, the southern two tribes did not become wiser. They actually followed in the 10 northern tribes and, and they didn't do very well. They also committed adultery with stone and wood idols. You see, idolatry is spiritual idolatry. Idolatry is two timing on God and what it is if you're taking note, is it's cheating on God. And so Paul comes in. He's getting this letter. You guys recall they're asking him questions. And Paul warns the church in Corinth about two-timing on the Lord by idolatry. Now, in order to understand what Paul is about to say, we need to go back at least to verses 12 and 13. So take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, picking it up in verse 12, he writes, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 
Therefore, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. This is a good place for an amen. If you recall, in chapter 10, Paul had just warned the church about four particular sins. He says, hey, be careful with idolatry. Everybody goes, all right. He says, number two, be careful with sexual immorality. All right. He says, be careful with tempting Christ or testing Christ, number three. And then number four, he says, be careful about complaining. Now, I get it. None of us complain. You guys are amazing. We never complain about anything, do we? But Israel did. Israel complained a lot. And sometimes, I got to be honest with you, I walk in the same footsteps of Israel. We complain. We complain about the weather, don't we? We have no control of the weather, but if it's too cold, I'm complaining. Oh, it's so cold. I hate, I hate weather, right? If it's too hot, oh, it's too hot. Except for my wife. She never complains that it's too hot, okay? Ever. It's like 150 degrees. That's perfect. The rest of us are melting. She's good. But we complain, don't we? We complain. We complain about a lot. We complain that the food is too cold. We complain the food is too hot. We complain it's not good. It's not spicy enough. It's not. We complain. We complain about complaining, don't we? Would you stop complaining? You complain too much. You're always complaining. No, you just complained about complaining. He says, listen, idolatry, sexuality, tempting Christ and complaining. And then he warns us, guys, last week, not to make the same mistakes Israel did. He says, guys, learn from them. Why? Because if you look at history, eventually God judged the nation for these sins. He judged them. And Paul says, now, let me remind you. He says, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Okay, he said, he says, now, listen, Paul said, listen, Israel made them a lot of mistakes. They were worshiping idols. They were involved in sexual immorality. You guys remember, do you remember the whole, you know, I mean, again, I know you weren't there, but if you ever watched the Ten Commandments, you remember when the children of Israel, Mount Sinai, right? And they made, they made a golden calf. Do you guys remember that? Right? They're like, Moses has been gone so long. What happened to him? He's been gone a long time. Aaron, make us something to take us back to Egypt. We sure miss the leeks and the melons. And, and I really miss onion breath. And I want to go back. And so, would you guys remember what Aaron said? Aaron said, bring me your gold. Bring me your gold. And he, he, he fashioned a golden calf. And the Bible says, and they rose up to play. Not, not, listen, they weren't playing volleyball. You guys know what I'm talking about? They weren't playing, hey, let's just get a game. That meant sexual immorality. They got together and they were, and he goes, listen, you guys are worshiping that. And then when Moses came down, do you guys remember what Mo said? He says, hey, Aaron, right, you're assistant pastor. I left you in charge. What gives? And what did Aaron say? Um, I just threw in the gold and the, I just threw in the gold and the golden calf jumped out. Isn't that the silliest excuse? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Moses just looks at him and says, my brother, he must have been adopted. I don't know. No, he didn't say that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But 
but you guys see what happens. And he says, guys, don't, don't make that same. He says, listen, learn from them. And he says, now listen, these were written for what? These are written for our admonition so we could learn. Why? Because it's been said that a wise person learns from his mistakes. But a wiser person learns from somebody, uh, somebody others, learns from other people's mistakes. You can look at some situation, you can look at other people and go, oh, okay, that's a mistake. Here's the consequences. I'm not going to do that. So remember, remember, church, listen, there is no greater weakness than an unguarded strength. So as we come to verses 14 through 22, we're going to discover some great application to what Paul had just taught us. What did he say? He's going to beg us, stop cheating on God. Stop cheating on God. Note with me, verse 14. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Everybody see that? Verse 14. Now, keep this in mind. Whenever we see a therefore, we always need to see what it's there for. Okay? So we always go back to the previous verse. Whenever we see a therefore, go back up the verse and say, okay, what, Paul, what are you saying? Now, what Paul is saying is that when it comes to worshiping idols, he says the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. Now, here's the point. There's a lot of people go, wait a minute. I'm being tempted in a way that nobody else is being tempted. It's weird. And Paul's saying, no, no, listen, there's nothing new under the sun. We're all tempted the same way. No temptation is overtaking you except such as common to man. He says, you get that, right? And see, the, the Corinthian church was going, yeah, you don't, you don't understand. You understand, we're, 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 we struggle with pornography, and it was just really weird. I went home, and my computer just opened up by itself, and it turned on by itself. That was just really weird. Paul's like, no, it, that doesn't happen that way. You understand, no temptation is overtaking you. Everything is common. Oh, okay, I get it, I get it. But then God says something very interesting through the power of his word. Notice he said, he says, he said, but God is faithful. And he's not going to allow you to be tempted, guys, more than you can stand. Now, here's where we take this verse and we try to make it say something it isn't, right? Have you ever heard people say, God's not going to give you more than you can handle? That's kind of where we get this, but that's not what he's saying. Guys, what he's saying right here is he says, listen, in the way of temptation, first and foremost, you need to understand temptation is not a sin. We get tempted all the time. It's not a sin. It's when we act on that temptation that brings us into sin. Okay? So they're walking past the temple of Diana, right? They're walking past the prostitutes. They might be tempted. They might, hey, come. But, but that's not a sin unless they partake into that idol worship, the worship of Diana, the prostitutes. So we need to understand temptation is not a sin. The second thing we need to understand is he said God is faithful. And he says, listen, he says literally he's going to give you a way out. Not necessarily relief, but the power to be able to bear the testing. That's what it means. That means a way of escape. It says, okay, he's going to give me his strength that I'm not tempted to do this. Everybody got that? That's the first thing, okay? The second thing, guys, jot this down. Whenever you see a therefore, I want you to note, I want you to note that this brings a transition in the text. You're reading the Bible, you see a therefore, 
all of a sudden, things are going to transition. Paul's going to go in a different direction, okay? He's giving you his thought. He's telling you the word. It goes, therefore, okay, transition. Now, here's what I want you to jot down. I want you to look for transitions when you read the Bible. Why? Because it helps you understand somebody else's talking, right? Have you ever done that? Me and Nathalie do this all the time. We'll be talking in one conversation. I mean, we'll be talking directly, and all of a sudden, it'll lead me to a whole different conversation that has nothing to do with this conversation. And then you'll talk about this for five minutes, and then you come back to this conversation. It's a crazy thing. But there's transition in communication. Everybody got that? And so when you read the Bible, you look for transitions. You look for him going, okay, here's my thought. Oh, by the way, I'm going to take you over here now. Now, it's all relative because he's, he's trying to pour out what the Holy Spirit is giving him, but there's a transition, okay? So you want to look for a transition. You go, well, pastor, what's the transition? Well, in chapter 10, as he begins to teach us, he starts off and he says, hey, guys, I need you to avoid self-indulgence. That's what I need you to do. But then he says, therefore, so you got a transition, and this is the transition. He says, don't participate in idol feasts. Okay? You need to avoid this. Let me tell you how you're going to do it. Why? Which brings us to our third point. Whenever you see a therefore, guys, whenever you see a therefore, you can expect application. Okay? When Paul says therefore, he says, okay, now let me give you, let me give you some application on what I just taught you. So whenever you see a therefore, you got to look for what it's there for. You got to see transition, but it's application. Okay. What's the application, right? What do we need to do? This is so important. Why? Because that's where the foundation of your life and the growth comes from. It comes from applying God's word. You see, we don't just want to come to church to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word, but we need to know what to do. Tell me what I need to do. Help me grow in this. Because there's a lot of times, man, we get great Bible preaching and we have no idea what to do. It was good. What did he say? I don't know. Do me a favor this week. Very lovingly, go to somebody who went to, hey, where did you go to church this week? I went to, doesn't matter what church. And then say, what did you learn? That's all you say. What did you learn? And they'll go, well, uh, learned about Jesus. Yeah, you're great. Again, Something specific. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that to bash other churches. What I'm saying is, is that we've got to have something that we can take and use. Because that's the whole point. The whole point is you don't want to come in and go, that pastor was so funny. He is just so entertaining. That was amazing. Because then that's not doing our job. Our job is to get you full of God. So that you can face Monday. And you can face Tuesday. And you can face what the doctor's going to tell you. You want to leave here so full of God. That's the point of church. Pastor friend of mine posted on Facebook the other day. He said that somebody went to him and said, hey, you know what? Um, I'm not sure if I really like this church because I'm supposed to feel, I'm supposed to leave here feeling good about myself. And he goes, if we're going to go verse by verse, chances are you're not going to feel good about yourself. Chances are the Holy Spirit's going to go, hey, you better watch out. Change. Listen, I'm all for feeling good, amen? I'm all for going, hey, let's rah, rah, let's go get him. But if I'm going to do what the Bible says, I know there's going to be so application, right? What do we need to do? Paul says, here's the application. Therefore, my family, my beloved friends, don't you just love Paul's heart? I don't, I don't see an ounce of frustration in him because he's saying, guys, listen, let me tell you. What should we do with the knowledge we have? He says, please flee. 
What does flee mean? What does flee? Flee means to move quickly from point or area in order to avoid a presumed danger or difficulty. He says, run away, flee, flee. When I think of the word flee, the one thing that comes to mind, you guys remember Joseph. Joseph was in Potiphar's house, right? And Mrs. Potiphar was like, va, 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 voom, come here, big boy, right? And, and she, tried to, she tried to tackle him down and tear off his clothes. And what did he do? He says that he, fle- he fleed, man, he got out of there. Still got in trouble. But we've got to run from certain situations. And what Paul says to you and I, he says, family, listen, family, brothers and sisters. He says, flee what? He says, flee the worship of idols. Flee the worship of idols. Now, listen to this. Listen to the way Pastor Warren Wearsby explains this, okay? He can do it better than I can, so I'm just going to quote him. This is what he says, quote, Paul had already told his readers to flee fornication. Now he's warning is to flee from idolatry, and he explains the reason why. You ready? He says, the idol itself is nothing, but it can be used by Satan to lead you into sin. He says, idolatry is demonic. And if you're taking no, I don't want to leave you without scripture. He actually quotes Deuteronomy 32 and 17, which says this, they sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, to new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. He says these idols that you were sacrificing to, these little g-gods, he says, guys, they were really demons. They were really demons. Psalm 106, verse 70, uh, 37 says this, they even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. Listen, let me just tell you this right off the bat, right? Demons are real. And they're nothing to be messing with. They're out there and they want to cause you to sin. Warren Wearsby says this, to sit at an idol's table could mean fellowship, communion with demons. Paul, once again, is enforcing the importance of doctrine of separation from sin. That's, that's the exhortation. Okay, here's the thing, right? If you and I were to go out and partake, okay, let me just, let me illustrate it this way. Joe and Beverly first started coming to church many years ago, and one of the things he wanted to do is he wanted to get to know me. He wanted to know my heart, wanted to make sure I wasn't weird, wanted to, he just wanted, I, I love that, okay? He, I am weird, but not in the way he thought, okay? And so he said, let's go out to eat. So we went out to eat, and we visited right now, and we're all, we're all put on our best behavior, right? We're just like, oh, we're using our forks and our knives, very nice, right? It's, nobody knows the real you. But then he came over to the house after that, and we had dessert and coffee. Do you remember that? Yeah. The point is, is that there was, there was communion, there was fellowship. And whenever you break bread with somebody, God, in Scripture, is that you become one with them. It's so important. Nowadays, that we'll go out to eat, and we'll be like, yeah, we had, I had lunch with Mel, no big deal, you know. But, but in, in, in the time, guys, when you ate with somebody, you, you actually felt you became one. Paul is going, okay, now listen, listen. He says, we have to be careful because as you sit at these idle tables, now the church of Corinth was doing this. They were going out, right, saved, but they were still feasting at worship at the, at the tables of, of all these idols. They were still feasting at these worships. They were still worshiping idols. 
Paul says, be careful because here's what, here's what could happen. He says, listen, you could actually be fellowshipping. What, is my, what am I saying? You could actually be communing. You could be coming one with demons. Now, we got to chat. Why? Because Paul just dropped a truth bomb on us. Okay? Because I listen. I understand, right? I understand. You go, Ben, we don't live in Corinth. Ben, this isn't Corinth. Guys, listen, we're not worshiping at the temple, Diana. Listen, I didn't have sex with a prostitute in the name of worship or religion last night. And I got to be honest with you, Ben, we are not following a golden calf back to Egypt. Can I get an amen? Right? So, so this is what we do. We sort of justify who we are and what we're doing, okay, based upon the text. Well, they, followed, they were weird, man. They followed a golden calf. Listen, if I'm in, around Lubbock, right, if I'm around Lubbock and I see somebody walking and following a golden calf, I'm going to think that's weird. I'm not going to join that. I get that, right? So we understand that. So it begs the question that we've got to ask ourselves, what is an idol? What is an idol? Because I'm not, I'm not worshiping at Temple Diana. I'm not following a golden calf. What is an idol? Okay? Well, if you tell me not to worship it, Ben, then you at least need to tell me what it is. Okay. Let me, let me quote two pioneers of the faith. If you're taking notes, jot this down. It was Martin Luther who once said, quote, whatever your heart clings to and relies on, that is your God, your functional Savior, end quote. Listen to me. Whatever your heart clings to relies on, that, really, that is really your God, your functional Savior. Augustine wrote this back in the 4th century. You ready? Idolatry is worshiping anything that ought to be used or using the one who ought to be worshipped. End quote. So let's talk, let's talk a moment about idols. Okay? Let's talk about moment. What a great time to visit. Amen. You're like, we visited and he talked about idolatry. Well, that's what the text says. The goal in our lives, guys, is to praise the one and true God and worship him. But many people have idols in their hearts. And it's a subtle thing in our lives, but they're there. As a matter of fact, Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods writes that our hearts are idol factories. And if we could just take a moment to look deep in our hearts, we would discover that we have been taking things, even things that are good, and we've made them ultimate. That's the key. There are good things in our lives, but we've taken good things and we've put them in the place of God, right? They become functional gods, in other words, without them, you can't function. That's an idol. That's an idol. And so I was going through this, and I was thinking, okay, so, so help me, Lord. What, what do we need to do? He says, well, here are some idols. You ready? Anything more important to you than God, anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart, listen to me, your imagination more than God. In other words, what you think about more is really an idol. What you think about throughout the day. You realize that sex is an idol. 
if you're thinking about that more than God, that can be an idol. Why? Because it absorbs your heart and your imagination. Anything you seek to give, to give you only what God can give. See, you understand, I find pleasure, I find joy, I find satisfaction in doing this, in doing this, in doing this, in doing that. Whatever it might be, he says, that could be, that, 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 that can be an idol. Why? Listen to this. You ready? Idols can give us a sense of being in control and we can locate them by looking at our nightmares. Pastor, what are you talking about? In other words, he says, what do you fear the most? What do you fear the most? You go, Pastor, I'm not sure what you're saying. Whatever it is, what would happen if we lost it? If we lost it, would it make life not worth living? That's an idol. That's an idol. Listen, the closest I can get is I love my wife. Okay, and I know I would be super bummed and probably depressed and probably unfunctional for a season if I lost my wife. We've been married a long time. She's a part of me. She knows me better than anybody else. I understand that. But if I could not live the rest of my life, if I lost her, then I've put her as an idol. You understand that? If one day I don't get up and go, okay, thank you, Jesus, Listen, because Solomon says there's a time to mourn. There is a time to mourn. There's a time to be down. There's a time to cry. There's a time to weep. But then there's also a time to go, okay, she's with Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm not saying that I, would, uh, that I want her to leave. I mean, I, my plan is we're going to go together in the rapture, okay? That's, that's kind of what we're going to do. We're going to be holding hands. We're going to be looking up. It's going to be amazing. And then my wife will then become my sister in heaven. Amen. But we've got to be careful because relationships is what we put in the place of God. Here's the point. If I am Nathalie's idol, even in a good way, if I decided not to do church anymore, if I decided to walk away from God, if I said, man, this is all a hoax, man, and she did the same thing, then she was looking to me, not God. You see, her relationship with God is, it has to be with God. And so, guys, think about it. Think about it, okay? Think about it. And, and, and the problem is, is that we often think idols are that, that golden calf worship, you know, that what we're following. It says it's more than that. Guys, listen, it could be good things. Sometimes we put our children in the place of worship. We put them, in the, we put them ultimately. What do you, oh, no, whatever you want. I don't want to go to church today. Okay, we won't go. We won't, we, you know, and it's like, no, your kids, you, you be careful, be careful. We love our kids. God's given us our kids, but he's never say, let's put them in the place where. Guys, our culture is filled with idols. Taking some good and making it ultimate. Now, for the sake of, 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 of our time, I can't go very deep into this, but let me give you some common idols, okay? Here's what, here's what uh, Tim Keller writes. Tim Keller writes that we have surface idols and that we have source idols, okay? Surface idols, and, and again, I can't go very deep in it. I don't have the time, but let me just tell you this. Surface idols is exactly what the, the idols that are on the surface. 
You guys know what I'm talking about? I, surface idols. These are, this is kind of like the crabgrass you have at your yard, okay? Now, not Joe. Joe has an immaculate, but if you go to my house, I have something that looks like grass, but it's not grass. But if I mow it pretty, pretty low, I could get away with that. It's crabgrass. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And if you cut the crabgrass, guess what happens? It comes back. I mean, and, and the problem is, is that crabgrass is very hard to kill. These are just surface idols. But he says, but we also have source idols. And source idols are ones buried deep in our hearts. And here's what he says. He says, we often tell ourselves this. Listen, life only has meaning. I only have worth if. And then you can name your idol. You see, a surface idol can be, I like to play golf. I like, that can consume your time. Working out, lifting weights can be a surface idol. But if my brother Joe doesn't play golf again, his life is still going to go on. He loves Jesus. You understand that? But a source idol would be, I can't go on if this goes. I can't. Mel, Mel plays the guitar. He plays the bass. He plays the violin. All those are great. But if Mel says, I, I don't want to live if all that's taken away from me, then that's a, what? That's a source idol. He says, I love Jesus no matter what. No matter what. And so we all have idols that we have to be. I mean, think about it, guys. And, and you go, well, what are some? What are some idols? Help me, Pastor. Well, here are some idols that should never be worshipped. You ready? Family and children. Your family should be where you worship God. Thank you, Lord, for my grandbaby. Thank you for my daughters. Thank you for my wife. You are good because you've given me this. You have blessed me. You understand that? That's family. Don't reverse the creative order. God didn't create all of that first and then get you married. He said, okay, this is going to be the stem of it. You go, what else? Guys, don't worship career or making money. Don't worship career. Don't worship achievements or critical acclaim or saving face. Don't worship social standings, relationship, peer approval, competence, skill, uh, competence and skill, security and comfortable circumstances. Don't worship beauty and brains, social causes, or even Christian ministry. These are all good things, but they make terrible gods. You go, what do I need to do now? Paul said, listen, he said, guys, flee. Flee. So now what do we do, church? 2019, we take a step back and say, Lord, I don't want to worship anything but you. So show me if I'm worshiping anything. Show me if I'm worshiping my job. Guys, you don't understand. You don't understand. Back 30 years ago, I thought the definition of love was working and giving my wife everything she ever wanted materially. You you understand that. My definition, I love you, baby. That's why I'm going to work six, seven days a week. I'm going to give you everything. We're going to have any, I mean, and, and my wife looked at me and she goes, no, she didn't do that. But you know what I'm saying. She said, we don't, I don't care about the stuff. I want you. And I, I was like, huh? 
You want me? Why would you want me? That's not love. She goes, no, love is... And, 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 and you see, you understand. You understand. These are good things, but they make terrible gods. And Paul says, don't, don't worship that stuff. Don't worship that stuff. Paul says, I, mean, I love his heart. Why? Because he says, man, he says, beloved, flee, flee idolatry. He says, but, but listen, I'm going to exhort you to flee, and then I'm going to commend you. Look at verse 15. He says, I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. Don't you just love that? You go, here's what he's saying. He's going, guys, you're reasonable people. Decide for yourselves is what I'm saying is true. I just love Paul's heart. Why? Because he's going, guys, don't, don't do this. And, and listen, you're smart. You'll see what I'm saying is true. And so Paul says, guys, listen, flee idol worship. And so contrary, right? Well, not contrary, but, it's, it, it, but how people react to, to certain situations, they go, well, Paul, show us. Show us. And so what does he do, guys? I love it. We'll move pretty quickly through this. He's going to give us three examples to flee idolatry. You go, well, like what? Look at verse 16. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this example. It's the Lord's Supper. He says, the cup of the blessing, which we bless, is it not communion of the blood of Christ? So he asks him a question. The bread, which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake in what? In that one bread. Listen, what's Paul saying? Guys, Paul is saying, now listen, when we're eating the Lord's Supper, when we're eating of the bread and we're drinking the cup, he says, this literally makes us the partakers of Christ. You, you understand that? Now, here's what, the, here's what the Catholic Church has done. They've taken this verse and they've made it to where it's called trans, right, substantiation. Okay? They've actually said this turns into the body and the blood of Christ. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is using this metaphorically that we become one spiritually with Christ by taking communion. Okay? He's saying, he's saying, listen, listen, he, he's not talking about union, but communion and fellowship with Christ. Guys, when we partake in communion, it is a very special thing because what you're saying is when you take the cracker and you take the, the juice, you're saying, spiritually, by faith, I am one with God. That's why Paul exhorts the church, be careful that you're not in sin. Be careful that you have unconfessed sin. Make sure you don't eat this in an unworthy manner. This is why he exhorts us so much that if you're not saved, don't take communion because it makes you one with God. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, well, no, no problem, Paul. I get that. And he uses this as an illustration. Guys, when I partake in the Lord's Supper, we're doing it in a spiritual way, and I have fellowship with the body and the blood of Christ. In this very intimate thing, we are in a spiritual way becoming one with God. Do you understand that? Because remember, when we break bread with each other, we're becoming one. He says, when we do this, we're becoming one with God. That's the first illustration. The second illustration, he goes, hey, let me just point out Israel. Look at verse 18. He says, observe Israel after the flesh. Are, are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? Right? 
Were they, he said, Israel, not united to God by eating the sacrifices at the altar? So what Paul says, you guys, go back to the altar. Go back to the times where they sacrificed the, the, there in the altar. He says, they, they gave some to the priest, they gave some, and then they took the rest, and Israel partook in that. Were you not partake, partakers? Weren't you one with the sacrifice to God? And Israel goes, yeah. He says, therefore, notice verse 19. He says, what am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols anything? Of course not, Paul. He says this, though. Rather, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or we do not provoke the Lord to jealousy. Are we stronger than he? Here's the point Paul is trying to make. You ready? A believer cannot partake of the Lord's food, and he's going Old Testament sacrifice, New Testament supper. You can't do that, and the devil's food. You go, what do you mean? At at the worship of idols. He says you can't do that without exposing himself to the danger and provoking the Lord. Here's why. Listen, listen, listen. Believers who fellowship at pagan feasts, he says, may open themselves to demonic attacks. Paul says, no, what I'm saying is that what is sacrificed to pagan altars is offered to demons, not to God. He says, and and I, I don't want you to be partakers. I don't want you to be partakers with demons. This is why the word of God tells us, guys, that we can't sing God's praises from our hearts and our mouths and then come over here and cuss like a sailor and be ugly and mean. He said, we can't do it. He says, listen, be careful. Be careful because here you are and you're worshiping God. He says, don't be careful with idol worship. Be careful with what we are putting, what is ultimately good. We want to make it ultimate. We want to make it ultimate. Okay, we need to land this plane. Let's close our study with this, okay? If you are going to be a devoted follower of God, can I get an amen? If you're going to do the Christian thing, do it in a way that blows people away. Run your race. That's what he's saying. Go for the gold. Guys, run to win. You see, the gospel, when it gets deep in our soul, it means this. You ready? That we are a people consumed with passion for God and a love for others. That's what it means. I'm not a big movie quoter, okay? But there was a couple of movies that came to mind here. If we're going to run to win, okay, I don't know if you remember the movie, Remember the Titans, great football movie, but do you remember when the defensive coach said he was tired of them cheating? He goes, you blitz all night. And he said this, leave no doubt. That's what I want in the Christian life. That listen, we leave no doubt that nobody's going, I didn't know if they were, I I think they were, I don't know, they were nice. Uh Uh-uh. I want people to know no doubt, I love God, I have a passion for him, and I love other people. 
Leave no doubt. That's the first quote. The second quote is probably more familiar. Guys, do you remember Mr. Miyagi and the Karate Kid? Do you remember when he's about to train Daniel-san? What does he say? He said, Daniel-san, if you walk on the left side of the road, safe. You walk on right side of the road, safe. He says, if you walk in the middle, he says, you're going to be squished like a grape. Isn't that great advice? Okay, listen, if you're going to do the Christian thing, man, go for it. In other words, don't say you're going to go here and then walk in the middle because you'll get run over. You'll get run over. He says, if you're going to run, run to win. But what must we do? What do we, what's our takeaway? Don't worship idols. Pastor, what I need to do, confess those things to the Lord. Lord, God, I've been, I've been serving what is good. I've made it ultimate, and I've been worshiping that. I've been worshiping my football team. I've been worshiping my basketball team. I've been worshiping my pro team. I've been worshiping my fantasy football team. Those are all surface idols, but let's get to the deep thing. God, what am I really worshiping? Because Paul tells us, be careful, because you could be opening up yourself to, to, to demonic attacks. Now, next week, some of you won't be here. I understand. You're traveling. But next week, you know what Paul's going to say? Paul's going to say, man, people matter. Why? Because he says, we need to have a passion for God. Can I get an amen? amen. And we need to have a love for others. That's the heart of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word today and the truth in your word. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, and I thank you for 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Lord, search our hearts today that we would not worship anything or anyone other than you. Forgive us, Lord, when we make the good things you give us ultimate. Forgive us, God, when we stumble. Forgive me, O Lord. So, Lord, today, by the power of your Holy Spirit and the teaching of your word, God, help us to be exhorted. And, Lord, may each person here even walk deeper with you in the days and years to come. So we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.